Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 is the number. Text me directly at 720-336-0897. I see phones and text lines are already lighting up. Appreciate that. It keeps the show moving along. Uh, It says, I texted in a couple weeks ago about my teenage son who's been cutting. He's a Christian, but deals with self-loathing and suicidal thoughts. My question is, should we seek counseling from a Christian counselor or from a pastor strictly from the Word of God? I don't want to confuse him or make things worse. I believe that it would be good to start with a pastor, and I also believe it would be okay to involve a counselor who is a Christian. And I agree with you. I don't want to bring any confusion so that if I do go to a Christian counselor, I want to make sure that they are a biblical counselor uh, and they're not going to uh, confuse my kid or even me with uh, humanistic psychology. Uh, And so I want to be careful there uh, because humanistic psychology it actually does have some value to it, and that is uh, the study of human nature is a very good thing. And those that, that are dedicating their lives to humanistic uh, training in psychology, just observational psychology, it's very powerful uh, where you can determine behavior patterns and bad habits and such. But what I don't agree with and I don't believe uh, can coincide with the scriptures is some of the conclusions and I guess you could say prescriptions for solutions um, that come from humanistic psychology. And I believe that the Bible, that we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now that's not to say that there aren't issues within the body that's physiological and such, but talking about getting to the root of your poor uh, son and what's in his mind, uh, and and helping him to take every thought into captivity and listening to him. I know you know this, I'm not saying it because you don't, but this is real serious stuff. And you parents that are listening in may not believe, you may have some quick answers. You know, I know believers are real quick to, well, why don't he just abide in Christ? Why doesn't he just rebuke that sin? Why doesn't he just repent? And I do agree abiding in Christ is the solution. And while I do agree that this self-loathing and suicidal thoughts can cross over into the realm of sin, the pain and and difficulty and darkness is not necessarily sin. And how careful we need to be, sensitively serve and minister to this young man and remind him of the value that he has in Christ, remind him of the love of God, remind him that wherever he's getting his definition as he self-loathes, you know, that Self-loathing is a form of pride. It's a prideful response because you you love him, his dad loves him, his siblings love him. I don't even know him and I love him in Christ and want to help him and see him grow. 
but you get into this cycle of bad thoughts. You need a, a gifted pastor and a gifted and perhaps even a gifted counselor that can walk around and help this brother out of the cycle that he's in because it is serious. And I speak from personal experience, um, not cutting, uh, not self-loathing, not even suicidal thoughts, but depression and darkness and out-of-control thoughts. You know, there's a season in my life, and and some of you may know, some of you may not know, but for context, six years ago, six and a half years ago, my son, Edward, uh, my namesake, uh, passed away. And uh, we didn't call him Edward. We called him Eddie. But Eddie passed away, and it sent me on a, a real deep depression. And then on top of that, there was... There were and still are some significant complications with human beings surrounding the loss of my son uh, that made me angry um, and even bitter at times. And and just, you know, I think the best description of it, I, well, it definitely wasn't self-loathing or suicidal, but it definitely was like that thought of, I'm done. I'm done with this. And I don't know exactly where that thought would have taken me, but it was bad. I was in a deep, dark place. But the you know, anger was a part of it. Uh, bitterness was a part of it. Uh, unforgiveness was a part of it. Um, all of those have been dealt with a, a true death blow by the Lord. But the deeper emotion of all of that, those actually weren't the deeper emotions. The deeper emotion was sorrow, sadness, grief, um, and a deep, dark depression. And so you with your boy, um, he obviously has crossed the line in his own mind and heart of the difficulties that he's facing and of the hardships that he's going through. And um, I say you get him as the, all the help that he can get. And I agree, don't confuse him or make things worse. But your love for your... I'm, gonna, I'm going... It doesn't say who texts this, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guess that it's a mom. Um, but even if it's a dad, like you love your kid and you'll help him. So start with the pastor, though. Start with a, a youth pastor, you know, if he's in a... Start with somebody... I know our. I know the the guys that serve with us. We 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 want to step into the lives of your kids. However, we're always doing it in partnership. So don't. So let me add this, and I'm going to pray for your son for you. But don't ascribe the help that your son needs to only a pastor or to only a Christian counselor, because it needs to be done in partnership with you. You have far more time with your kids than we do, and so we're going to partner with you and help you. Um, email me. I'm going to have to look it up, but email me. Um, I know you're um, you're doing this by text, so I hope you're listening. Email me, and I'll send you a link to a resource we were using here for on cutting. Actually, we had two resources. Um, I, I don't know if we have them in the bookstore or not, but we have two resources on cutting that, that I could put into your hands. I can give you some links, and you can go get them. Um, I got resources on depression, sorrow, and you might want to read them because, uh, number one, to help your son, but also, two, to help you. So it doesn't uh, uh, doesn't wreck your life, you know, and you don't get depressed walking into the depression of your kid. So, Father, I just pray for this young man and their parent, the text, and um, would you please give him the help that he needs to get out of this downward spiral and protect him from himself and all the demonic spiritual warfare that's surrounding him right now. I'm just reminded as I'm praying, your word says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers and and we we wrestle um, against every high thing that that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So I pray for this family in Jesus' name. Amen. 303-690-3000. Lines are full. We're going to go to Colorado Springs. And uh, line one is Ronnie. Welcome to the program, Ronnie. Hi, how are you, Pastor? Good, how are uh, you? I got a question. Uh, we are Christians, and uh, we will move to a house like uh, one, two months ago. And uh, I don't believe in goals. I know that as Christians, we die only one time, and mm-hmm. then we go to this uh, <clears throat> judgment and all that. There's no such thing as goals. But uh, since we moved two months ago, I noticed on my uh, daughter's 14-years-old bedroom, like, weird stuff like, that I never experienced. Uh, I was changing, like, one day an outlet, and... yes. The, 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 and when I took the cover, the lid for the outlet, I noticed I was taken out with a screwdriver and, and the lid, I noticed that like somebody lifted up and threw it under the bed. And it was weird because I didn't move at all. So I, I, I left okay. it alone. I didn't see nothing to my wife. I don't want her to get nervous or anything. So okay. I let it go. And like uh, two weeks later, my wife was telling me like that cold that that bedroom feels really cold, and so I think it's the the wind or something, right? So after that, I just last week my wife told me that my daughter told her that she saw like a big big uh, like almost the size of the wall, like maybe seven foot eight foot a skin shadow like. She's not, she's not sure if it's a woman or a man, but, but like, really, really skinny arms and really tall. She cannot see her face. Uh, but And then it's when I noticed that something's going on in the bedroom. But I, I was wondering, if she's a demon, why it has to be in that specific bedroom? Well, I really have no idea what it is, so I'm sorry I can't answer that for you, Ronnie. It definitely sounds um, weird. Uh, it sounds yeah. interesting. Uh, could it be the possibility of a demonic presence? Yes, it can. But I, I always want to remind people that the demonic presences that may be around us, that may be influencing, may be tempting, may be pressing in on us, have to submit to the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. I'm always reminded of this verse. And even as your wife might be concerned and that she might be you know, worried if you told her something, um, the the Bible says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we can never forget that. Uh, we, we get a little intimidated because it's weird. Uh, I mean, again, it's very interesting and weird and, and, and spooky, if you will. I agree with you. Uh, I don't believe that it's a ghost or any of the world's version of a ghost. Um, and I'm, I'm just always wanting, I, I think it's important that you guys remember and memorize this, First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And, and you want to stand on the promises of God in that room. And, you know, when, when my kids would hear things and go through things, whether it was demonic or not, one of the things that I did, Ronnie, that for my kids and, and in, in our home for a long time was we kept worship music playing. Uh, we kept the atmosphere. So like my kids... We would have a little CD player and put it on repeat, and as they went to bed, 
you know, as they went to bed, they would listen to something that was more kid-oriented, like Salty or something uh, that was Christian music for kids. And then after they fell asleep, I would go in and I would change the CD and I would just put worship music on playing just to keep the atmosphere, uh, even while I'm asleep, um, in the presence of the Lord. And, and so I think you can go in that room and speak the authority of God into that room and and you can say, the Lord rebuke you, demonic presence, and you can take that room back and, and let that room honor the Lord because you're a believer and he who is in you is greater than whatever's in that room. Okay, okay. So thank you, Pastor, for... Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Okay, I will I'll talk to my daughter and let's see. We, we yeah, can let me that. know. Yeah, call me back. I want to know what happens. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Ronnie. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690-3000. Let's go over to line three and pick up Dan in Aurora, Colorado. Dan, Hello, welcome Ed. to the program. Hey. How you, how you doing today? Good. How are uh, you? So the question I got, I've been studying the book of Revelation now for a couple of years, and I've been trying to better categorize and place different books in different sections. Um, And as far as I can understand, Satan is cast into the abyss during the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign, and then he's released at the end for a short time to deceive the nations one last time, and then they make war against the Lamb in the great city. Yes. So then when I go through and I read Revelation 17, then when you get to verse 8, it talks about the beast that once was is now not and about to come out of the abyss. Well, if it's specifying the beast that once was and is now not, that means that Satan would be in the abyss. And if he's about to be released to face his destruction, it sounds like it's even close to the end of the millennium. Because at the end, that's when he deceives nations to come against the great city. And then once we get to the end of Revelation 17, it talks about the ten kings. The ten, I guess they get their power for a short time to give their power to Satan. um, So his plans could be revealed, and then Satan comes against the Lamb in the great city. But the Lamb is only in the great city during the millennium, so it couldn't be pre-Armageddon. So are you asking when do you think chronologically Revelation 17 takes place? Yeah, so it looks like it's in the millennium to me. Well, it's not in the millennium because the millennium, according to Revelation, doesn't begin until Revelation 19 with the coming of the Lord. That's the issue. The second coming of Jesus issues ushers in the millennial period where he brings a close to everything. So when you're reading through, sometimes in Revelation there are chapters that are I um, uh, forget the word for them, but they're they're just they're they're not chronological in order. This yeah, one happens to be chronological. This one, but this one happens to be chronological, where you have uh, Revelation sixteen ushers in the beginning of the great tribulation period. Chapter nineteen ushers in uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ, which will then that that is prior. The second coming of Jesus is prior to the millennial period. So seventeen and eighteen fit in between chronologically the great they happen in the seven year great tribulation period. So then is verse 
eight. Is that not a time marker? Because it's talking about a beast that once was, currently is now not, and about to come out of the abyss. I guess I kind of view that as a, a time marker in in the sense of the, that book. Okay, let me look and not use my memory for this one so I can give a reason. And then the end of Revelation 17, um, I think that's when it starts talking about the ten kings giving their power to Satan. But Satan only comes against the Lamb in the millennium because, as far as I know, Jesus isn't living in Jerusalem right now. He comes down during the millennium. Remember with the enemies against Jesus, there are three mentioned. There's an unholy trinity as much as there is a holy trinity because, you know, the devil is just a liar and a fake. And what Revelation 17 and 18 is giving us is insight into the religious political climates during the Great Tribulation period. So by so by the time we come to verse 8, which I have it open here, let me get it open. When you have descriptions of the beast uh, being, let me see here, let me make sure... I read it. The beast that you saw and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life. So just reading it here, verse 8 is a a verse that's speaking of a future event because we get that with the word will. He's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit and the time period is, is given to us because the, there's going to be a marveling when those that aren't written in the book of life, then the, the book of life is what's revealed after the millennial period. So it's taking, it's describe, it's giving you, it's sort of like, um, uh, it's sort of like a description um, of my daughter. You know, when my daughter, my daughter is not married right now, but I could say my daughter who will be married, and it hasn't happened yet. But it's it's a description of who she is. Maybe I have two daughters that, that won't get married. But God being being able to describe it, the beast that you saw and is not, and will ascend uh, the bottomless pit is at, he he doesn't go to the bottomless pit till the end of the great tribulation period, and then is released at the end of the millennial period. Does that make sense? Oh yes, but then when we look at the end of Revelation 17, I think it's verse Mm -hmm. 14. I'm sorry, I'm driving right now, so this is just off the top of my head. What does it say? Um, Uh But I think it talks about Satan waging war against the Lamb in the great city. That only happens once, as far as I know, right? Yeah, but remember, it's, it's not necessarily a time marker in the moment chronologically. It's describing an event, and I'm just reading from the New King James. I haven't looked up the Greek on it. But this is a statement describing them and what they will do. It says, these will make war with the Lamb. The Lamb will overcome them. But um, the ten horns, so, so you've got to go back to verse 12. The ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings. So we're still in the Great Tribulation period, right? Verse 12. They receive no kingdom as yet. They received authority for an hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They give their power and authority to the beast. They're going to make war with the lamb, and the lamb's going to overcome them. For he is that. That's the destruction of the final revived Roman Empire during the Great Tribulation period, which actually is what we studied last night in the book of Daniel. Uh, because in Daniel, we remember Daniel received this wild dream in chapter 7. 
And in chapter 7, it says in verse 9, uh, as Daniel had this dream of the wild beast describing the, the kingdoms uh, that would come, you know, remember in the beginning of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar saw, uh, had a, had a, uh, he, uh, he got a dream of an image, gold, uh, a gold head, um, the, the chest of silver, you know, the Medes and the Persians. He goes through all the way through. In Daniel, it says, uh, I watched till the thrones were put in place. The Ancient of Days was seated. So Daniel gets this heavenly vision, and, and it says that a fiery stream came. Uh, thousands were ministering to him, seized the throne. And then in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, brought him near before him. He was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. People's nations' language would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Uh, which shall not pass away. His kingdoms are the ones that shall not be destroyed, describing the second coming, which is at the end of the Great Tribulation period. And when you're reading Revelation, you just got to allow the the reference, I believe, that you're seeing in Revelation at, in 14 is talking about that kingdom. We're still in the Great Tribulation period. Well, I guess I'm just tying the Ten Kings. If they give their power to Satan, so then he can come against the Lamb, the only time Satan does that is at the end of the tribulation. So I guess that's the part that trips me up. That is the yeah no, but you're right. You just described it correctly. What's tripping you up? Well, because if so, then it makes sense that Satan is released out of the abyss at the end of the millennium, and then the ten kings give Satan their power. This is at the end of the millennium, and then Satan has their power now, and then he comes against the city uh, and against Jerusalem and against the Lamb that's in the great city. So it sounds like it's after the millennium. Once Satan is released out of the abyss, the ten kings give Satan their power to him, so then he can come against the city, and then the Lamb's will can be fulfilled, is how I guess I've been reading it. Or well, how remember, it, what the, remember the millennial period is a, is a rule and reign by Jesus Christ that's promised all throughout the, the Old Testament and even promised by Jesus without any opposition. There is no, there is no opposing government. There is no opposing kingdom. Uh, Jesus alone is ruling and reigning for a thousand years. So there are no ten horns that are ten kings in the millennial period at all. They're already destroyed. There, it ends by the end of the great tribulation period. So I, I, I wonder in your mind where you have come to the conclusion or, or like where you picked up that you there will be opposing kingdoms in the in the millennial period those are two so like the great tribulation seven. period seven years the millennial period is a thousand years right so then if you were looking at revelation 17 it's saying that these 10 kings come to power only for a short time to give their power to satan to wage war against the lamb so that's all, the only time Satan wages war against the Lamb, and it's saying that they only get their power to give their power to Satan. So it sounds like the only there's only one kingdom, and then power is given to these ten kings, so they can give their power to Satan, so Satan can wage war against the Lamb in the great city. So that's how I guess yeah, I view it. So that's two. So so there are two events you're referring to in two distinct time periods. There's a battle going on with the Antichrist. Who's in? Who has the? Who's in? Um, you know, I guess you could say relationship with the devil during the great tribulation period, and he will come against Israel 
He will come against everything that names the name. If you re- continue reading in Revelation 17, you know, he starts describing the waters that you saw where the harlot sits, peoples, nations, tongues. You know, the world during the Great Tribulation period will have one world government, will have a one world religion. The false prophet will oversee that. So you got that unholy trinity of uh, that the devil, the beast, and the 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 um, false prophet. And there that is what is waging war against God. And they're going to use the ten horns because that's the final world go- governing world that the Antichrist is heading up. That's what that's describing in the Great Tribulation period. That's all going to come to an end. Jesus Christ is going to come in an instant of time in his second coming and put an end to all of that. That it's what 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 we you know the idea of a battle of Armageddon is going to be a human bloody battle, but Jesus Christ coming back, we call it a battle, but it's not going to be much of a battle. He's going to put an end to it immediately and usher in a millennial kingdom, throw the false prophet, the beast, every they're all going into into to hell to be held. And at the end of the millennial period, they'll be released one last time. And the reason that they're being released one last time is to provide those living during the millennial period, those born during the millennial period, an opportunity to make a real bona fide choice for or against Jesus. So there are no ten horns in the millennial period. There is no ruling of the Antichrist uh, there is no, the one world religion has been replaced with the one world kingdom of the one true God in the millennial period. And the battle at the end or the release at the end is not descriptive here in Roman, in Revelation 17, but rather it is a minor, uh, under the power of God, uh, Jesus Christ, a minor release for the sake of a purity of choice for those that are alive during that time in the millennial period. <clears throat> huh. And verse 18 at the end of chapter 17 uh, kind of gives more insight in the great tribulation period that the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. There is no great city that rules over Jesus Christ or any, there are no uh, opposing kings of the earth during the millennial period. And that woman, Babylon, that one world uh, religious system, that one world government, uh, that woman uh, is not reigning over the king. There's nobody reigning in the millennial period except for Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah, it just looked like a verse, I don't know, 14, 15, when it says that the ten kings get their power for a short time to give to Satan, it looks like there's nobody ruling except for, you know, the Messiah from Jerusalem, and then ten kings come into power for a short time to give their power to Satan, so then they can come against the city. Yeah, that's I don't know, I guess that's just how it looks to me. Yeah. Uh, you're the first. You're the first that I. Um, that that's the first I've heard that that interpretation of Revelation seventeen. I've never heard that before. Well, it's just I'm just trying to put everything and putting time markers with everything and trying to understand what's going on. But it's taken about three years to come to that conclusion. Uh, I do have to say, Revelation does have some difficulties uh, and challenges when you're trying to put time markers. Um, I, I remember the word I was thinking of. Some of the chapters are not in chronological order. Uh, they're parentheses, like they're pauses, and we get more explanation on things. 17 is not one of those chapters, but there are others earlier. And and even last night as we were studying Daniel, 
Daniel chapter 7 is not chronological. Uh, it actually happened back in, in, in the book of Daniel. Daniel 7 actually happened back between chapters 4 and 5. Uh, it makes it easier uh, for us to understand that, easier than Revelation is here, um, but because it actually starts with, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. So we have the time period of it. But in chapter 6, Daniel's 90 years old under the new kingdom, under Cyrus. Uh, and so you, you know, like you're doing, you have to take some careful constraint and, and really poke things through. But my understanding of chapter 17, it is chronological and it fits right in between the chapters um, that it sits. Hey, you hear the music. Thanks for calling. God bless you. Thank you for time. Hey, we, the first half has passed by so quickly, but that means we have open lines. Give me a call, 303 Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back everyone to Calvary Live. I'm so grateful to be a part of your day and that you trust us with a few minutes and about an hour of your time, uh, just knowing that the Holy Spirit is ministering among us and you know, sometimes like the previous call, we delve into some difficulties or some concerns or different viewpoints on scriptures, just trying to get to the bottom of it. And other times we pray for one another and we encourage one another. And what a great opportunity through radio and through podcasting, through live streaming that we can connect with each other all around the world. I want to give a shout out and an encouragement to everyone that listens to us uh, on Hope FM. Uh, we counted a great privilege. Uh, to be a part of the Hope FM radio network. I also want to give a shout out to everyone on the Truth FM uh, radio network. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. We're grateful not only to have Calvary Live on the air, but also our Bible teaching, uh, our Bible teaching ministry known as Abounding Grace, Abounding Grace, uh, which is 18 years old, I think, uh, is also on both of these stations. So what a great opportunity to build a relationship with you. Uh, I love getting emails. I love hearing from you. I also blog. Uh, if you want information, you know, you want to follow me on our blog, just go to Ed Taylor, E D T A Y L O R dot org. It has to be dot org because if you go to dot com, a professional Santa Claus is named Ed Taylor and he owns that domain and he has owned it as long as I've tried to get it. Uh, and he, he has suddenly become famous. So I don't see him giving it up anytime soon. Uh, but I have edtaylor.org, and I just posted a brand new. Uh, I just posted a brand new um, post today. So uh, join me. I post. Uh, I I write on grief. I write on life, and I I write on ministry. Uh, I love to equip in ministry. I love to pastor pastors. I love to. Uh, encourage and build up, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to be able to do that. 303-690-3000. We're going to go to line one, or excuse me, uh, I think it's line two is Dwight. Uh, Dwight, welcome to the program. That's okay, maybe not. Let's see where we are. Let's go to Boulder. Boulder is Dave. Dave, welcome to the program. 
Well, blessings. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Blessed by the best and praying for the rest. All right. What can I do for you? Uh, you know, I as you're, I don't know what kind of schooling you have, or uh, but in school everybody had listened to rock and roll. Now some bands were considered satanic because you know they sing about hell's bells or running with the devil. Do you believe okay. like Ozzy and Metallica is satanic? Well, the way I judge music is uh, the way I judge a book and the way I would judge a television program, and that's by content. Um, it's the content, and so I would say many of the mu- many of the people that you mentioned. Uh, judging by the music, because that was music I was into before I got saved, it is very demonic and very satanic. So um, without putting a judgment on the people, I don't know where their walk with the Lord is now. I don't know what they're doing, but the music they produced and the music I used to listen to is very bad and it inspired a lot of bad decisions in my life personally. Right, right, right. Well, I had another question. You're from Calvary Chapel, Right. I am, yeah. I used to go to Calvary Chapel in Longmont. A friend of mine, we were going there for a couple of years, but he had to change his work schedule. And then, you know, the social support network in church, we're supposed to be a body. We're supposed to be like brother and sister. We're not only friends, we're family, we're relatives in Christ Jesus. That's what Keith Green sings in one of his songs. Anyways, uh, where do you find the social support network in the church? You need to have it, you know, like Bible studies and prayer groups and Sunday school and stuff like that. Where do I find it, personally? No, uh, I mean, no, not you. Where does one find those things that the Lord wants to send them in the right direction? Well, the, the, the Bible is clear to us that God created the church. Jesus is building the church for the sake of community. Remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And so the, the God has created the, the, the gathering of the saints uh, for the sake of developing friendships and relationships and sharing life together and serving and uh, living out our spiritual gifts. So where, where I would appoint someone to find those is in, their, in a local church. Well, we've been going to uh, Flatirons Community. It's a big church. It has a couple of thousand people. But, you know, where do you find the fellowship? Where do you find the brotherhood? When it's well, I don't, like I don't know. I don't know the I don't know all the things that Flatirons is doing, but I'm certain that a large church like that has a lot of opportunities for smaller gatherings, uh, home groups, life groups, men's ministry. Uh, there's opportunities I'm sure to serve. For me personally, when I was in California, uh, when I got when I was saved, uh, I was I was saved in a very 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 large church. I think when I walked into that church, it was probably six or seven thousand people, and 
uh, very intimidating. I'd never been in a church that size, never been involved in anything like that. And the way that the way that I there were two ways that I developed what you were looking for in a large church like that. One was in a small home group setting. Uh, we were a part of a home fi- home fellowship, is what they called them. And then the other one was serving, because when I started serving in that church, I began to be connected with so many people. And the probably the most fruitful place that I that I connected with the most people was serving in the children's ministry. I got to minister to the kids and their parents and the teachers that I served with, and I developed a lot of life, life long-lasting friendships, relationships, and ministry opportunities. So, you know, get involved in a small group and start serving, and the Lord will put people in your path to connect with and share life with. Well, bless you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, brother. God bless you, man. Hey, I had one more question. Have you seen the Left Behind series? About Many years ago, I did. Trib? rapture yep. stuff are you yep. pre-trib rapture or i am i'm okay, a pre-tribulation so I. pre-millennial cool. okay, pre-tribulational God you. you have a good God bless day you. and i love you Alrighty. thanks man bye-bye I, I i was funny i was just thinking of that phrase today um for no reason i mean it's not like i don't know what i believe but i was just thinking like i i am a pre-millennial pre-tribulational in my eschatology i think i know why i, I read a article yesterday on a on a longtime seminary professor uh, who left his seminary uh, and resigned because he couldn't sign the statement of faith. Um, and for all these years, the seminary let it slide and finally said, no, you, you must sign our statement of faith. And he says, I won't do it because I don't believe uh, in a pre-trib, pre-millennial. I think he's amillennial. Um, and, and yeah, you should find a place where your eschatological view will be best suited to support the the church in which you serve. But anyway, that was on my mind. We're going to move on to New Jersey. Luann is calling uh, from New Jersey. Welcome to the program, Luann. How are you? I'm Pastor Ed. I'm doing well. I wish I could say I was. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What's going I on? Lost my hus- I lost my husband in March of 2019. I did get past that. I wrapped myself around grief support, and I did very well, and I met a gentleman there. Okay. We did. We we fell in love with each other quick, and it was great. We got engaged January 3rd, and then he passed away January 6th. I'm having a hard time with the fact that I'm thinking, am I being punished because I dated too soon? The other thing I got corrected on was, like, why does God keep taking the people that I happen to fall in love with? Am I not meant to fall in love? Do I have to wait? Is there something else I'm supposed to be doing except wandering around feeling lost? And then I called you. Well, those are good questions, and they're very valid questions. It's it's not unusual for you to be thinking these things with two uh, significant traumas happening back-to-back. So the first question that you ask is super, super easy to answer. And the answer is you are in no way whatsoever being punished for anything by the death of your husband or the death of this new fiancé at all. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he he has taken all of the punishment, and all of the, you know, any punishment that we may have deserved as a rebellious man, a rebellious woman against God, 
It was taken upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we live in the forgiveness of God. And in our dealings with God, we now experience consequences of sin, sometimes not even our own sin, but we don't experience a capricious, a God that's capricious that just feels like, you know what, you're a bad girl and I'm going to punish you. Uh, the punishment's already been taken by Jesus. Okay. So the second question is actually equally easy to answer, but it's hard to receive. And this is the battle that you're in right now, and this is what grief does to us. Grief is like getting punched in the gut. Have you ever been punched in the gut where you lost your breath? Yes. You know, it's disorienting. It is scary. It feels, it starts, uh, you know, creating feelings that we haven't had before, or even thoughts that we haven't had before. And, and, mm-hmm. and the only way that we can truly get through all of these weird thoughts and feelings is to make sure that we stick close to the Word of God. And, and I and want I you to, I want to remind you that even in, even, even in grief, you may not believe the word. You may not like it. You may not. It doesn't make you a bad believer, but it is reflecting how what a battle there is that's going on in your life for you to trust God. Because let's face it, it's very easy to trust God when everything's going the way we like it. True. But when we begin to experience pain and things don't work out the way that we want to work out, we start to question everything, and it's hard to believe God. When I think of your fiancé, what's his name? His name was Jim. And how long were you able to enjoy him? Um, five months. Five and months. Like I said, we met at Grief Support, and somebody yes. asked me in Grief Support, if God was standing in front of me now, knowing exactly what would happen would the outcome be, would I do it again? And my answer is, yes, I would do it again, except that I'm feeling so lost losing two men that I love, and I'm actually afraid to even think to date or even think to date another one. Well, the loss of your husband and the loss of your fiancé, as painful as they are, is normal because death is going to happen to all of us. Okay. And as you entered into the relationship with your husband, and can you tell me your husband's name? My husband's name was Aris, A-R-I-S. And Eris was married, you guys were married for how long? 43 years. Oh, wow. And what, how old was he when he died? 62. And, and how old was your fiancé? Jim was older. Jim was 80. Okay. And now I'll insert a little bit to this conversation. Uh, in 2013, my 27-year-old son died suddenly. And mm-hmm. he was 27, and it rocked my world, it rocked my faith, it, it affected me greatly. And so I'm sharing all this for the purpose of sharing this truth. Listen carefully and let mm-hmm. it sink into your heart, okay? Mm-hmm. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed, and in your book they're all written, the days fashioned for me, when yet no- there were none of them. And so my son, your husband, your fiancé, they all lived out the days that God ordained for them. Okay. And I think of my own little, my, I think of my son, he's my firstborn. Uh, he was mm-hmm. he, my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, and we had no future of marriage at all. She's a teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm a teenager. She get, we get pregnant in high school. 
Uh, we choose to keep that baby. We choose not only to avoid abortion, but to keep that baby and raise him, uh, even though we're not getting along, we're never going to. And we look at all the difficulty we experienced in those first two years, and then we got married and how hard it was, and then we got saved and how God was working things out. And then Eddie got, and then Eddie got married, and he got married into the, to another family with the in-laws and difficulty and challenges with that. And then he became a, a police officer, and on and on. He, God knew all of the difficulty, all of the hardship, but all of the joy that we would experience for 27 years. It doesn't make the pain go away, but mm-hmm. remembering the sovereignty of God and his mm-hmm. divine purposes, more and more I'm finding myself saying, thank you for the 27 years that I enjoyed with him. Thank you for the months, um, even though I wanted more, but thank you for the months I got to enjoy with my grandson, uh, with, okay. with the fullness of relationship. Um, it should be years, but it's months. But I, I start to say, thank you, God. You're sovereign over my life. Um, I, I, I was talking to somebody recently where I'm, I'm not at the point that Paul is, I don't mm-hmm. know if I ever will be, but remember Paul said, I would rather glory in my tribulations. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not glorying in my tribulations. I, I don't like the drama that surrounds my life. I don't like the nonsense. I don't like, I don't like it. And I do, definitely don't like grief and loss. However, no, I, don't. I can say biblically from God's heart, from, from, from his heart revealed to us in the scriptures, number one, you are not being punished. Number two, the men in your life, as painful as it is, lived out a portion of your life with you that God fully knew how long it would be, even though you didn't know how long it would be. Right. And number three, because you're alive and because you love Jesus Christ, you are not prohibited from pursuing another friendship, pursuing another relationship, or even getting married again. And it's perfectly normal to be fearful. It's perfectly normal to go, well, you know, if this is the way it's going to be, I don't want it. But you have the freedom and permission from God to pursue it when you find the strength to do that. Okay. Thank you for that. Because seriously, that's a question. It's like, stay away from me. It's almost like I'm bad luck, guys. Don't come near me. (laughs) And And so you'll have to really... Even though you know it's, it is kind of a, a joke and it's it's not true, and you need to stop saying that. It's not true. It, what that, I, that I phrase, have to make myself believe that. I know. Well, and you know, God can help you with that. Like it's it, it's trusting God. You, 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 their death is not because of you. You are not bad luck. You you are right. not. Um, you, you you are not the cause of their death because they were in relationship with you. Um, right. you're, you're just responding to great pain and, uh, and it's okay Damn. to respond to great pain. Just remember, remember at the end of, of the book of Job, I'm sure you're familiar with the book of Job. I am. Yes. Job is in excruciating pain. He has excruciating loss. He, he's lost his family, his possessions, his, he, he's, I mean, the devil's dealing with him under the permission of God in a wicked way. Right. He lost right. his wife, even though she's still alive. She she doesn't. She, she's grieving. They're not getting along. His friends come. Most of the book is all about his friends coming and being horrible encouragers. Horrible to him. And then, and then you remember, God comes at the end. And yes. And here's the thing: 
we, I would think, just my normal observation would be like, man, for a dude like that, I'm going to come and say, it's okay, everything's fine, it's okay, Job, you're going to get through it. And there's certainly time for that. But that's not what God did with Job. What God right. did with Job in, in the end was almost everything he said to Job was, was a summary of this. Job, you have forgotten I am God. Right. And, and that as I is have, something— As I am right now. And and certainly I have at times too, and it's it's sad. I feel bad for myself. I'm like Ed, what's your problem? Like I feel like David sometimes, you know. So why are you so discouraged? Like, and it's all like if you keep it within, when you keep this pain within, um, just Luann, and it's all about Luann, and it's Luann this and Luann Luann. It's that is going to end nowhere. But when you walk into the sanctuary of God and your eyes are on the sovereign Lord and you trust him with whatever he allows or brings or sends into your life, then you know that your life has meaning and purpose because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it helps you. You're learning to live through the moment. You know, we're not worried about tomorrow because tomorrow's not here. I just need to get through today, Lord. And it just draws you into a deeper relationship with him and and I have to say now, I'm almost seven years on it, and it, there's still a lot of difficulty surrounding the loss of my son, but we're seven years into it almost in May of this year, and I can look back and go, well, it's painful and hard and difficult and a lot of bad stuff, but God has used it to build me and strengthen me, to help me see him differently. Uh, he's given me a ministry to hurting people that I've never had before in my life. And True. as much as I want my son back, uh, I love him back, back with the, with the same ministry, um, but that's that's not God's will. God's will is for me to experience um, the loss of my son. Uh, it's to experience the ongoing pain associated with it and the drama of mm-hmm. people surrounding it, and I accept right. that as the will of God and live my life by faith. Now, besides the Bible, because I do read that, I read that all the time. Is are there other books to read? Yes, if you will email me, I've read a lot of great books and a lot of junk books, and I will send you mm-hmm. some links on some really good books on grief okay. and depression and emotion and forgiveness. Um, yes, Wonderful. yes, yes. Email me. at Ed, You can send an email to ed mm-hmm. at edtaylor.org. I have that. Yeah, so email me, and I'll send you links, and there's a lot of great resources you know, because this touches a lot of stuff, um, and it, it creates a lot of junk in our heads, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of great authors that have spoken on these things, and I can send you a few, you know, even just a devotional. I've got a great devotional by Charles Spurgeon that mm-hmm. every day it points me back to the Lord, points me back to the okay. Lord. Sometimes I don't like Charles Spurgeon because he speaks so strongly, but he's in the presence of God, so he doesn't care. And Okay. He speaks the truth, and that would probably be my number one purchase if I was you. And so send it to me, and I'll res- remind me of the conversation because I get a lot of email, and I'll just right. respond with those links, okay? Basically, what I need now is a prayer of strength and a prayer okay. to not forget who our Father is. Let's do that. Now, let me pray for you. Father, I ask you to uh, be with my sister Luann and the great pain that she has. She's asking for, and I'm asking God, that you that she would feel and sense the as you reveal yourself as the God of all comfort, that she would not know that just in her mind, but she would also know that in her heart. 
I pray according to Philippians chapter 4 that she would be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication she would and thanksgiving she would make her request known to you and you God would give her a peace that surpasses all understanding that would guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus and I pray you would Amen. give her a greater that her eyes would open uh, you know and just take away the symptoms of grief to the point where she can see you clearly again where she can have greater understanding um, and that you would temper the sharp points of her pain and strengthen her, Lord, in following you. So even today, Lord, we're not worried about tomorrow, just like you said. We are not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own issues. We're just focused on today. And so I pray for my sister in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. I appreciate that so much. And I will email you for the book. Okay, I'll look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we've got a text question here. It says, uh, recently I had a conversation with another believer that said drinking is absolutely not allowed if you're a Christian, and any church who doesn't agree is a New Age church. Uh, I, I disagree with that statement. It is untrue. The Bible never in any way uh, declares drinking alcohol or drinking liquid that is alcoholic is a sin. However... I do believe that it's not wise. It doesn't always, especially in our culture, it doesn't always lead. Uh, Drunkenness is definitely a sin. Um, But a church that doesn't agree with your friend is definitely not New Age. They don't even know what New Age means. Uh, The issue of alcohol is not a New Age issue. A New Age church doesn't believe in the one true God, but believes in weird spirituality and all kinds of weirdness and doesn't actually hold to a strict biblical understanding. And so a strict biblical understanding is that it is not a sin to drink alcohol. It's, <laughs> excuse me, it's just not wise. It's just not wise. And I actually have an article on my website, edtaylor.org, on this very topic. And, and I take a strong stance personally against alcohol only because it wrecked my life. Um, and so my, I, I share a personal opinion with people about drinking, and I acknowledge to them, no, it's not a sin to drink alcohol, but it could wreck your life, and it can wreck your kid's life. I, I like to tell parents, you know, because again, not alcohol doesn't wreck everyone. I, I acknowledge that. It doesn't. People can control it, don't get drunk, and I acknowledge that. But sometimes for believers, like, wh- just because you can doesn't mean you should, and just because you can do something doesn't mean it's the smartest thing, the wisest thing. So you're ministering in the body of Christ. You've got a new neighbor that has a problem with alcohol, and you don't have a problem with alcohol. What's the choice? The choice is to think of the other person first. And so uh, you're, I, don't, I don't agree with your friend, and I'm not a New Age church. I'm actually a biblical literalist and a biblical rendering a, a literal rendering of the text scripturally is uh, that it's not a sin to drink alcohol. And the easiest uh, biblical argument for that would be Jesus Christ drinking liquid with alcohol in it when he shares wine at the Passover meal. I know there's debate on how much alcohol was in it, and I respect that. I know there's different viewpoints on it, but. The reality is, um, 
The reality is it's not a sin, and I don't agree. Here's a text from a previous call. It sounds like the caller's confusing the beast and the Antichrist and the devil in the chapter. Um, I do think you're right. I do think that there is um, some confusion on not only the placement of Revelation 17, but a confusion on the unholy trinity um, and the Antichrist that, that sits within the great tribulation period and the devil being released being bound and then released after the millennial period. Bound before, released after. So thanks. 303-690-3000 is the number. Um, boy, we're coming up on the end of the show. It happens so fast. Uh, here at Calvary Church, we are going through a series in the month of January, kind of taking a break in our verse-by-verse study in Hebrews. Even though in our first by verse study in Hebrews, we're all spending a lot of time looking at faith, because we're in chapter 11. Uh, the theme of our year this year as a church is Into Faith We Go. And so we have been, we're on the third week of a series in this topic of Into Faith We Go. I did week one. Uh, Pastor Joshua, my son, did week two. I'm going to be doing week three this weekend. Come on out. If you don't have a church family, you're on this side of town. Uh, we welcome you to Calvary Church. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.45 and 10.45. Uh, just a beautiful, wonderful group of people that gather together at Calvary Church. So grateful to call this my church home. So grateful to be a part of what God's doing in the metro area. God bless you guys. May have a great night. May the Lord encourage you, strengthen you, help you. If you want more information, go to our website, calvaryco.church, calvaryco.church, or go to my website, edtaylor.org. Have a great night. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.